Six years ago, in 2016, writers Jeff Mano and Nikki Twilley began working on a book. It was a book about quarantine, which at that point, at least for the general public, was a largely forgotten practice. Had produced all of these really beautiful ruins all over the world, buildings that had been turned into hotels or had been converted into convention centers or offices or art galleries, or that just been left to decay in the woods. So a few years ago, Jeff and Nikki set out on a quest, a quest to document these structures and the reason that they'd been created. They traveled around the world to Australia, London, New Mexico, the Adriatic. They toured crumbling ruins, a nuclear waste disposal site, and even the CDC. They spent years researching and writing about this abstract thing, this idea that tied all of these places together. And then it happened to them. It was really funny. While we were researching the book, we were like, we have to find someone who's experienced quarantine to talk to and get that insider kind of perspective on what it's really <laughs> like to live through. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, Jeff Mano and Nikki Twilley take us inside the Malta Lazaretto, a crumbling, centuries-old structure that was built to contain the spread of disease. And they take us inside the history and the future of quarantine. More after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide-open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself— you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Years before they ended up in their own quarantine, Nikki and Jeff were out in the world researching quarantine. And in doing so, they found themselves standing on a tiny island off the coast of Malta. The island was inside of a bay, close enough so that you could look down on it from the surrounding land, but far enough to keep people away. And on this island were the ruins of the Malta Lazaretto. It's slowly kind of falling apart. The masonry is, you know, there are cracks and gaps and spaces. Invasive vines are taking over all the stairways. A lazaretto is a special kind of hospital, built specifically to keep people who might be sick in quarantine. And this particular lazaretto was hundreds of years old. Jeff and Nikki had been working forever to get access to it, and they'd finally managed to get an architect who was working on renovating the site to agree to come and let them through the fences. 
Um, but what was funny is that, you know, we, he got he got us through one of the gates to go in, but then his keys either his, were the wrong keys or the padlocks were rusted. And so we couldn't actually get through the, the, the remainder of the gates to get into the lazaretto. And so the sun is going down. Uh, this was our only chance to, to be there with him. Uh, you know, we were going to leave Malta without seeing the one thing we had come there for. Um, and so, you know, kind of inspired by some of the people that we wrote about in the book throughout quarantine history, um, you know, we decided that we would just, you know, make an executive decision of our own. And we started climbing all of these fences. After they climbed over the rickety chain link fence, Nikki and Jeff found themselves inside the Lazaretto courtyard. The sun was setting in the background, and there they were, on an island in a crumbling quarantine facility all by themselves. There's one very beautiful stairway that when you turn the corner and look into the courtyard, um, the vegetation has grown up, uh, creeping up the steps, almost like Angkor Wat kind of thing. Um, but there is a line of like a pathway that cuts through the vegetation that you can clearly see are, you know, are urban explorers or maybe even quarantine tourists pre- previous to us who have gone in. Um, but, you know, it's funny because, you know, we were actually warned multiple times, you know, the building isn't safe. Uh, you know, this is a, not, not the kind of place you want to go just running around. Um, you know, you should avoid certain places and certain rooms. Um, but then after we were in there alone, uh, running around, you know, without good cell phone reception, we realized that no one had told us which parts of the buildings were the ones to avoid. <laughs> and so, you know, we're going into totally dark arcades, uh, running up stairways, kind of sneaking around uh, balconies that no longer have edges. And um, it was a really, really, really magical place to go to, actually. I've been a fan of both Jeff and Nikki's writing for close to a decade now. Jeff focuses mostly on architecture and design and Nikki on the intersections of food, history, and science. Nikki also hosts the excellent podcast Gastropod. And they joined forces to write Until Proven Safe, the history and future of quarantine. We used to go around while we were researching the book telling people, you will experience quarantine in your lifetime. And uh, now we go around uh, telling people that you will experience quarantine again in your lifetime. <laughs> so, The quarantine may feel new to most people. It has a long, long history. The first known mandatory quarantine happened all the way back in 1377. The Black Plague was making a comeback throughout the Mediterranean, and starting on the Adriatic coast, countries were taking serious precautions. The word quarantine actually comes from an Italian word, quarenta giorni, which means 40 days. And at first, it really only applied to merchant ships and their crews. European trading ports want to continue trading with the East because that's how they make their money. But uh, they are not interested in having half their population die from the Black Death, which is what's happening. Um, And so they try to have their cake and and eat it too, essentially, by instituting quarantine as this idea that, that this will be sort of enough time and space to sort of reveal whether a, a given ship poses a danger or not. In the beginning, sailors would just spend those 40 days, their quarenta uh, giorni, aboard their ships, uh, anchored outside of the harbor. But this was not the last time bubonic plague did an encore in Europe. In fact, every few decades, the continent was pretty consistently being hit by a new wave of bubonic plague. There was the Italian plague in the 1630s, the plague of London in the 1660s, and the plague of Marseille in the 1720s. So starting in the 1400s, permanent lazarettos or dedicated quarantine hospitals were built to house sailors and travelers as they came into coastal cities like Venice, Dubrovnik, and Malta. 
all in an effort to keep these diseases from spreading across the mainland. Let me ask what's basically a sort of a stupid question, but I think it's worth asking. Um, Do quarantines work? Uh, They do. Um, But even if a quarantine is not 100% effective, it's still effective. The whole point of these lazarettos wasn't to eliminate disease. They weren't really built to treat sick people. Instead, they just prevented the disease from spreading. And for the most part, they worked, as long as people followed the rules. A lazaretto guard noticed a really beautiful scarf that had come in from Turkey, and he decided, you know what, my wife would love this. And so he stole the scarf from the quarantine facility, brought it home, and gave it to his wife, but in the process gave her the Black Death, and it led to an outbreak that killed, I want to say, 10% of the population of Split, um, simply because this guard, you know, just didn't realize that he was poisoning people and, and and taking the contaminated object out of its safety. The very first version of the Molta Lazaretto was just a couple of wooden shacks built on the island as a sort of emergency solution during the plague of 1592. And once it was over, the structures were torn down. But more epidemics were on the way. And by the 1640s, a permanent quarantine structure had been built. And every time there was a new outbreak of disease, 1670, 1683, 1701, they enlarged it, made it a little bigger. They added new wings, and even whole buildings were added to the island. The Lazaretto would become Malta's official quarantine hospital, and for more than 250 years, it housed travelers, sailors, and merchants who were returning to Europe from around the world. So the Malta Lazaretto had this sort of brief window where it was the busiest quarantine station in the world, 1830s to 1850s, 60s, roughly, thereabouts. And this was a time, just to give you some context, that uh, quarantine was really changing. For one thing, sailors and merchants weren't the only ones traveling anymore. Suddenly there are steamships, there are railroads, ordinary, quote-unquote, I mean wealthy, obviously, but ordinary people are traveling. Also, the whole world was about to be hit with a new pandemic, cholera. So while most of the big global naval trading powers had built their own lazarettos, the British decided they had an even better solution. The British had never really bothered to build a lazaretto. But it also doesn't really want to build one because uh, the problem with quarantine is it's a buffer. It slows down trade. And so they came up with this brilliant idea at the time Malta was a British possession. And they were like, great, we'll outsource it. That's how centuries after it was built, the British borrowed the Malta Lazaretto and made it the busiest quarantine station in the world. It wasn't always a pleasant stay. It could be packed and unsanitary. Lord Byron, the English poet, actually stayed there at one point and wrote a dramatic poem about it called Farewell to Malta. One line reads, Adieu, thou damnedst quarantine that gave me fever and the spleen. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the spleen is. Uh, as it turns out, historical reactions to quarantine are relatable. Um, and so for the first time, you start getting letters of people complaining about the food and talking about, I mean, one of the things that people always do in quarantine, as we all experienced during COVID-19, is talk about how boring it is and complaining about that. But at the same time, I also, you know, remembered reading about, you know, again, someone had asked for some uh, plants to be brought into their room, some potted plants. And so kind of thinking about, you know, those being brought in and how these rooms would have been at the time made it amazing. We experienced quarantine in this very atomized way, stuck in our homes, in our apartments. Um, But in the past, people were being quarantined 
team together, did that create, well, first off that, did that create problems? And second off, what did people do? They didn't have phones, they didn't have, you know, Netflix streaming services didn't exist. So how did people spend their time in the Malta Lazaretto? And was there a danger that they were going to get sick from each other? Yeah, what they did uh, is is a really uh, fun question. I'm just going to uh, say my favorite uh, part of what happened, which is that in the um, 1840s, 50s, at the time when Malta was sort of the busiest quarantine station in the world, um, there's this mini boom in quarantine romance. Um, and uh, it, there's you can read some of these stories on online. There's one called Love in the Lazarette. Um, and there's, you know, and, and what's funny about it is all these different sort of people thrown together with nothing to do all day and you know they they find something in common uh, they are they are, they find togetherness in their in their isolation and so there was this little boom in in quarantine romance as a sort of setting for unusual love affairs to emerge um but you know inevitably people ran out of things to do and would just get bored i think um Again, in history, there are people who are annoyingly productive in quarantine. So you get people who've written entire volumes of of novels or histories of you know that come out of quarantine with having managed to 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 do tons of things. And then you get other people who, and there's one super funny letter where you know he goes he he writes he catches up on his correspondence the first day. Uh, he goes through all his accounts and does all his, you know, expense report essentially on the second day. And then on, on the third day, he he's, has no idea what to do. So he just goes to bed early in the hope that uh, the day will be over. <laughs> and I feel like it was such a relatable letter, even though it came from, you know, the early 1800s. The use of these lazarettos lasted all the way into the early 1900s. But over time, they fell out of fashion. Besides outsourcing their quarantines to Malta, the British were among the first to start replacing quarantines with different forms of bureaucracy. They came up with passports and forms for travelers to fill out at the border to help them figure out who was likely to be carrying diseases and how to track them after they'd entered the country. But quarantine never really went away. It would pop up wherever an infectious disease outbreak occurred. So what after spending really like a decade kind of thinking about this, working on this project, traveling and then and then and then actually living through a pandemic, living through quarantining yourself, what do you hope people take away from the book? What do you want them to sort of come away thinking about? You know, the, if the impulse is to forget a pandemic as soon as it's over, um, quarantine is is even more vulnerable than that in terms of history. And, you know, we want to forget quarantine right away. And also a lot of quarantine stations are dismantled or they're even burned down to disinfect them. But despite humanity's absolute best efforts to forget quarantine and leave it in the past, Nikki and Jeff say it's almost definitely part of our future. Because the minute you look into the history of quarantine, you realize that it really didn't go anywhere. In fact, um, if anything, it, it exploded into everything. And so quarantine protects our food supply. Quarantine protects astronauts on their way to and from the International Space Station. So my point is that, you know, you, it's, it's that kind of thing where it's like Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, you, try, you think it's gotten rid of, but now it's everywhere. And, uh, you know, quarantine has really shaped the world. And, and that's what drew us to it, I think. And so I think this is our chance to get quarantine right for next time. I think uh, it's sort of... 
clear that we are entering a new era of pandemics, the global travel, climate change, um, and sort of the the increased uh, invasion of humans into all areas of the world are just increasing the emergence of novel diseases for which we don't have a response. And in those situations, quarantine is our response. So let's take this moment and and figure out how to do it better. So what you're all saying is we'll have another chance to be the uh, Isaac Newton of our own quarantine and like do fabulous, brilliant work while we're stuck inside again. Yeah. What would Byron do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, this has been fascinating. I'm impressed that you guys managed to do this work and not live in a bunker somewhere, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Um, it, and it's stay a, married. And yeah, stay, stay married. married. Yeah. No yeah. small feet. No small feet. <laughs> yeah. An enormous thanks to Nikki Twilley and Jeff Mayno for talking to me today. I had an incredible time, and hopefully you all will be hearing more from them soon. Go and read their book, Until Proven Safe, The History and Future of Quarantine. It covers all kinds of things beyond even just human quarantine. We quarantine rocks and plants, all kinds of things. Uh, so check that out in their book. Uh as for the Malta Lazaretto, it is currently being restored and it is not currently possible to visit. Uh, we do not, under any circumstances, ever, ever condone hopping fences, just for the record. To learn more, you can visit the link in our show notes. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Sarah Wyman. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Baudelaire Seuss, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.